0: Welcome to the Startup Microdose podcast with me, Ed Stevens, and my able co-host, Oliver Jones. This conversation is with Lord Karen Billamoria. Against the advice of family and friends, Lord Billamoria started Cobra Beer in 1989 from a thirst for a truly exceptional beer to go with Indian food. Cobra now has a market share of 98% of all licensed Indian restaurants in the UK. But the journey was no easy ride, with the business as a hairbreadth from failure on no less than three occasions over the years, This is the fascinating story of passion, ingenuity, and determination to realize the dream of building one of the world's best beer brands. So, without further ado, we bring you Lord Billamoria.
1: Good morning, everyone. We are joined today by Lord Billamoria. Thank you so much for joining us. Great pleasure to be with you. So you've had uh, an illustrious career and you're probably best known for Cobra beer and the Cobra Foundation. But before we, we dive into that, it would be good to, to get a ha- handle on what led you there. And so as a, as a young boy and growing up in India, did you think that your path would take you where it has? And, and indeed, how did it take you in the direction that it has?
2: I was born and brought up in India and my father was in the Indian Army, so we moved around a lot. I went to seven different schools, ended up at boarding school in South India. Uh, I always knew that I would be studying in the UK at some stage because both my grandfathers were educated here. My father's father was at Sandhurst, one of the few Indians to be commissioned at Sandhurst in between the two wars. He was the first, wasn't he? One of the first. One of the mm-hmm. first. And uh, there was only a handful right. because then they started the Indian Military Academy which my father was, a, was commissioned from. Right. And my mother's father was at university over here at Birmingham, and he learned how to fly, joined the Royal Indian Air Force, and served to the end of the war as a squadron leader. And now uh, I'm an honorary group captain in 601 Squadron, so right. I followed in his footsteps. <laughs> and um, my mother went to university here as well. Her brother went to university here. So it was only a matter of course that I would come to study here at some stage, which I ended up doing. Right and I didn't know really what my career would be as a boy. Uh, I thought perhaps I might follow the family footsteps and join the forces and go into the army, and then I made the decision to go into business. I did my first degree in India um, and graduated when I was 19. I skipped a couple of years, so I got a lucky break, Mm -hmm. and then came here. Um, I qualified as a chartered accountant um, with with what is today EY, Ernst & Young. I found that a um, an, an amazingly rewarding experience in terms of what I learned I didn't necessarily enjoy the auditing <laughs> uh, but the exposure to business was fantastic and the internal training was amazing and working within a large global organization was phenomenal experience and I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't have that experience uh, and now particularly fast forward, and I've got a joint venture with Molson Coors, one of the largest brewers in the world, 20,000 employees around the world, multi-billion dollar New York Stock Exchange is listed, and my experiences going back to my EY days of working in that huge global organization mm. uh, have been very useful. Um, uh, I, my favorite subject in my accounting um, studies was law, and I went to Cambridge and did a law degree, and had the most wonderful time there. I got very involved at Cambridge, uh, got involved in debating in a big way. I led the Cambridge Union debating team two years running against Oxford. Hmm. My opponent was Michael Gove. We became <laughs> great friends. Um, I was vice president of the Cambridge Union um, and uh, got involved in college life, in sport, and in, 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 in just really had a, had a wonderful time there. Uh, and then ha- I had to make the decision. What, what do I do? You know, I'm, I'm a qualified accountant. I've got a law degree, a degree from India. Natural decision would have been to be uh, an investment banker. And, uh, and then I had this idea, I had this big idea, which was Cobra Beer. So I decided to go to business and teamed up with a childhood friend of mine from Hyderabad, and we started in business. The, the thing about starting a business is, one, you've got to make the decision to, to make that leap. And forego whatever other opportunities you might have. So you know, my friends were driving around in BMWs, working for Goldman Sachs, and I was there with my 295-pound Citroen Duster called Albert. <laughs> uh, so uh, you know, you you. Uh, and then um, your big idea may not be something you can start with straight away because I didn't have any money; I had uh, student debt to pay off, and Cobra was a big idea. So what we decided to do was to build up experience of importing products from India, sourcing products from India, and selling them over here. And uh, we imported polo sticks. I, I captained the Cambridge University polo team on our first uh, tour to India. Um, we beat Oxford that year, and I came back with some sample polo sticks and started selling them to Harrods and Whites, uh, to the Royal Family, family Saddlers as well as, um, we imported leather and silk goods that we sold to Selfridges. We imported silk-embroidered garments, which we sold to Whistles. Um, so just building up experience, hitting lots of dead ends as well. Where did you get the capital from, from for those, those first imports? For the polo stick business, I contacted one of my, my, my contacts, my saddlers in, 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 in the polo world who I played against and knew. And I Invited him down to lunch to London to Fulham to lunch to a restaurant called pigeon And I persuaded him to pay me half the money for the order up front So, so <laughs> I had my it. working <laughs> capital yeah.
0: and getting those some of those imports into stores like Harrods What was the process for kind of getting hold of contacts there to get oh, them to take a chance on
2: really difficult? I mean, you know, yeah, you get, it's it's a no for a start and then you've got to get past the the assistant buyer to the main buyer to eventually getting an order and then your products got to deliver. Um, so it wasn't easy, and, and um, it's very tough. And, and, and also sourcing products, you know, getting the quality right. Uh, we, we, we sold silk garments to boutiques in, in, in Beecham Place, um, to one of Princess Diana's favorite boutiques, to Whistles, as I was saying earlier. Uh, it was a great experience. And, and all the time the bear was in the background. And and we had a mentor and I think it's very important to have a mentor and our mentor was my business partner Arjun Reddy's uncle Keshav Reddy who was a retired wing commander from the Royal Indian Air Force who knew my grandfather very well and um, The serendipity plays a big role in, in 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 building a business luck plays a big role and We were going to import seafood from India and we had a meeting with our mentor And he said, oh, well, one of my friends has just opened up a seafood factory, so he said, put me in touch with anyone who wants to import seafood. We said, wow, serendipity, this is great. Mm -hmm. It turned out the seafood factory was a subsidiary of Mysore Breweries, the breweries of Pals Beer, which I'd grown up with in the Indian Army messes in India. And that's when I said to Arjun, I said, now we've built up all this experience, we're ready for it, forget the seafood, let's see if they want to export beer And um, that's how it started. And and it started with corresponding with them, getting samples across, deciding that none of their products were suitable, having this taste in my mind. Because my idea for Cobra was very simple. That I loved beer, but I hated fizzy lager. And I loved ale. And the fizzy lager was useless on its own and hopeless with food. And the ale was lovely on its own, but hopeless with food. Mm. So I thought, how can I produce a beer that has a refreshment of a lager and the smoothness of an ale that is really drinkable on its own but also accompanies all food, and including Indian food. And so the brewery said, we don't produce a brew like this. If you want to make this happen, come come to India. And by the way, you don't like any of our brand names. One of them was called Pals, which is the name for dog food in, in the UK. Mm-hmm. Another one was called Knockout, which was an 8% beer for boxer having knocked out another <coughs> boxer. So they said, look, basically, let's be honest with you. you, you young boys have no money, you have no experience in this industry, you're gonna fail. All our competitors except Kingfisher have failed. So when you fail, it'll be your brand that'll fail. So why don't you choose your own brand? Now look at that with hindsight, that our most valuable asset is the Cobra Beer brand. If I had chosen one of their brands, I'd be an agent, I wouldn't even be here talking to you. Yeah. And so we chose our own brand and I went and spent months in India developing the beer with the brewmaster in India who happened to be the best brewmaster in India had spent six years in the Czech Republic, had a PhD from Prague University In beer? In in, in, in fermentation technology, they're right. mm. scientists yeah. and um, so we developed Kobe beer from scratch and this intricate recipe to produce this taste that I had in my mind um, of literally, I mean people describe it as the less gassy beer but that to get to that less gassy means using not just malted barley and yeast and water um, and hops but using three varieties of hops and rice and maize and wheat and a very complicated way of making it uh, that that gives um, cobra this wonderful delicate balanced taste that makes it go so well with food and so that's how we started and why cobra how did you come to that you mean the name? The name, the brand, yeah. Well, the, you know one of my favorite sayings is, good judgment comes from experience, and experience comes from bad judgment. And uh, the first name we chose was Panther. And Panther um, was the name we chose. I mean, We could have chosen any name. And we designed the label, the artwork was with the printers. And two weeks before bottling, uh, my partner phoned me up from London and said, Curran, look, I can't sell any of the beer. In advance of it being shipped because nobody likes the name panther and i mean the conversation went on for a while as to why did people not like the name panther and he literally could not give me the answer he said i don't know and we said well who cares w- what do we care what they care we've chosen panther mm. we'll go with panther and he said Look, aren't they won't buy it <laughs> so Um, I then remembered that we'd gone through many names, and I said there was a name that came a close second and um, I said look up the list and I can't remember the name. He said I've already done that. It was Cobra I said okay. Well, why don't you try Cobra and see if they like Cobra if they like Cobra? I'll go to the printers if they haven't printed the Panther labels Then let's change the name to Cobra and the next day luckily the brewers went on the way to the brewery went to the printers and for the first and only time in my life, was hoping something had not been done. <laughs> and they said, no, we have not printed the Panther labels. Uh, I said, don't print them. And within a day, Arjun checked with the same customers who didn't like the name Panther if they'd buy it, if the product was called Cobra. And they said, yeah, we'd love Cobra. And so I went to from Bangalore. I went to Hyderabad, where my brother had an advertising agency. And my brother helped me out in there, And he dropped tools, his whole team and we just worked for days and created Cobra Beer from scratch. And uh, that's the best decision I made. And the lesson you learn is as an entrepreneur, you come up with the idea, but never go forward with your idea without checking it with your consumer first. Yeah. And uh, it's turned out to be the most amazing name and, and people love it. It's got a, uh, it takes you to India in an obvious way. It's short, it's sharp, it's punchy, it's memorable, it's cool, it's contemporary, but yet it feels it's been around forever. I mean, in those early days, we'd meet retired Indian Army officers who'd who'd um, served in India. Oh, I remember Cobra before the war in India. Delicious beer mm. didn't exist. <laughs> you know? So, uh, so you know, it's worked wonderfully as a name. It's a really good name. It's
0: scary it's really how name. close you can be to your product market fit because what your sell was was, was on oh, not having as much gas in the beer that can be enjoyed with food, but the consumer. Can still reject it until it resonates with them on on both accounts. Which is, um, it's funny because yeah, I don't know about you, Ollie, but having grown up and gone to Indian takeaways, because I'm I'm only thirty two, it's always been bottles of Cobra beer in Indian restaurants with people eating their Indian food, and it, it, it to me it could have been a fifty year old, sixty year old beer because I
2: never knew differently. Yeah, it just it was, was a straight
1: fight between Kingfisher and Cobra. Yeah.
2: It? Well, uh, they, and again, you, you're it's always always going to be against the odds and it's what I call uh, crossing the credibility gap so when you start in business with a new product with a new brand nobody knows you nobody knows your product nobody knows your brand you're completely unknown you have zero credibility so when you're in that position why should anyone buy from you supply from you finance you and I believe they do those things if you have passion and faith and confidence and belief in your idea and your product and your brand that gives them the confidence and the faith and the passion to give you a chance. And so we would go to the Indian restaurants, and we decided to start with the Indian restaurants as our base. And we said, if we can get our bottles on those tables, then people will discover our product. And we'd go to the restaurants, and the restaurants would very openly say to us, we don't need you. You know, we've got Kingfisher. It's been here for eight years. We've got an Indian beer. And, and we've also got Carlsberg on draft in, in almost every restaurant. And some of them had another German beer called Dortmunder. I said, well, why do we need another beer? And then you've got to convince them that you've got a product that is different and better in some way. And the whole idea about Cobra was that this taste and texture by being so smooth and balanced and rounded and less gassy and smaller bubbles and would mean that it would go better with the food. And if it goes better with the food, it means that they will sell more beer and more food. Mm. So said, you will make more money by selling Cobra. Oh, and by the way, it's a pound a case more expensive than Kingfisher, and it's a five case minimum drop. So you've got to have that confidence in the beginning to, to, to be able to say, my product's more expensive and you're gonna get what you pay for, but it's better and you're gonna make more money from it. Now the resistance is always gonna be there. And I'll never forget the restaurateurs themselves, many of whom who didn't drink for religious reasons, would say, look, leave a couple of bottles. We'll try it with our regulars. If they like it, we'll put in our first order. If our wider customers like it, we'll reorder. And I'll never forget that chance that the restaurateurs gave me. And I'll also never forget that they always put their customers first. And every major decision I've made in my business over the years, I've always gone to my consumers. And I've gone to them to give me my answer um, before I do anything else. And, of course, we got 99% reorders from day one. People just love the product. And it pushed the, the
0: amount being spent per restaurant up as well. Did it, did it make people spend more, or more money on their meals um, as feedback from the restaurateurs, Did they say people Well,
2: you see, what would happen for a start, the, in India, 90% of beer to this day sold in double-sized bottles. So mm. the Cobra beer that you know is the big double-sized yep. bottle. Nobody else did that. And, the, and the, the brewery in India said, if you want small bottles, we'll have to have change parts on the line. We have to have new molds. We're not going to do any of that because, quite frankly, you're not going to be around in a year's time. So if you're still around in a year's time, we'll give you your small bottles. Draft beer was out of the question because sending kegs empty kegs all the way back from, to, from the UK to India was not going to be practical and commercial. So we had to go with these big bottles. And then what you learn very early on is to turn obstacles into op- opportunities. So the same big bottles that the restaurateurs would say is, we don't want these, we want small bottles of draft. We would say to them, look, this is the authentic way beer sold in India. It's a double-sized bottle means that every time you sell it, you're selling double the amount in one go. Next thing is your waiters can leave them on the table, and people can share and help themselves. So it leaves the waiters to go and do other work. The next thing is people share food, Indian food. Quite often, you'll order food for the table, and you all share it's a sharing concept and as long as people are drinking responsibly they will end up drinking more than if they were ordering individual small bottles and so you will sell more beer you will sell more food and the other thing that will happen is people at other tables will say hey what's that that looks like a bottle of wine oh it's not a bottle of wine it's a bottle of beer let me try some Mm. and it spreads like wildfire around a restaurant so you turn an obstacle into an opportunity And when you're a first mover and you can have the guts to do that, to this day, to this day, my biggest-selling stock-keeping unit, and we do draft, we do cans, we do small bottles, we do gluten, we do do a variety of different packaging formats, is still the big bottle of Cobra. And if you look on the cells now, you'll see Peroni and Stella and everyone does big bottles, and Mm. we were the first movers. And we're still one of the one or two biggest selling big bottles in any supermarket in this country
1: was there ever a temptation so you mentioned that your your price point was was higher than than kingfisher was there a temptation when you're entering the market to to go to go to to undercut them or was it about convincing them that you were credible and that your product was superior and it was worth
2: paying more for it and and you've got to have i believe that that confidence to be able to charge more for your product if it is worth it. Yeah. And the confidence that, that, in spite of that, your customer is gonna make more money. And also that you protect your gross margins. Mm. Now, we used to make losses on the bottom line for many, many years because we'd plow all our profits back into marketing and growing and sales and finance. But we'd always maintain those gross margins. And you can only maintain the gross margins if you keep a high price. And because ours is a super premium product, you have a super premium price. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have my 10 P's of building a business. And the 10 P's of building a business, are one, you have a a great product. In our case, a super premium product. Secondly, you've gotta have that product at the right price. So if it's a super premium product, it's gotta be a super premium price. It could be a value for money product, it could be a value for money price. Next thing, is it's gotta be place, it's gotta be available. And we decided to start with the Indian restaurants and then build from there into the supermarkets and the cash and carries and off licenses and then into the pubs and the bars and exports, which is exactly what we've done. Next thing is you've got to promote it. In the early days, we could not even afford a branded beer glass. Can Mm. you believe it? A beer without a branded beer glass. Hmm. We only had a table tent card printed in green and black. That's all we could afford, telling people what Cobra was all about. Now, of course, we've got marketing of every sort from social media to advertising to cinema to point of sale to you name it, we've got it. Mm. But we started with nothing. So those four P's that I've just told you about are the classic four P's of marketing. Mm. The extra P's that I have are people. Any business is a people business. B2B, B2C. And I'm a proud manufacturer. I'm passionate about manufacturing. I mean, Britain... Manufacturing makes up 10% of our GDP, but the manufacturing that we produce in Britain is world class. We criticize our productivity in Britain, but the productivity of our best companies is the best in the world. We have a long tail of productivity that's not that good, but our best productivity is as good as it gets. And with Cobra, I'm sorry to boast, Hmm. but I I mean there's a saying I picked up at Harvard Business School where you've got to be confident but not arrogant, and you've got to be um, ambitious, but you've got to be humble so you've got to be ambitious. <laughs> so ambitiously, I say, we've won 111 gold medals. So we are a brilliant product, British manufacturing, Belgian manufacturing, Dutch manufacturing, Indian manufacturing. We are the best, the best in the world in our manufacturing. But it's about people. It's about the brewers being the best. It's about my sales team being the best, our marketing team being the best, our finance team being the best. So the next P is passion. You've got to love what you're doing. I mean, I always say you follow your passion, not your pension. Otherwise, what's the point? I mean, we all spend our lives working. What are you doing working if you're not loving it? The next P is about partnership. It's all about partnership. And when people say partnership, it's not just the partner that you start your business with, Arjun Reddy. It's your partners or your suppliers. Your partners or your 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 consumers, your partners are your accountants, your partners are your lawyers, your partners are your PR agencies, your partners are your ad agencies. It's all about partnership. The next thing is principles. It's it's better to fail doing the wrong thing. Literally. It is it is better to f- it, sorry, I'll start that again. It is better to fail doing the right thing than to succeed doing the wrong thing. And then the profits. Profits are really important. You've got to make good profits. And that's a mistake that we made. We didn't make enough profits in the early days. And now we've proven for many years that we we can make good solid profits as well. So those are sort of P's of of building a business Mm. that I believe applies to any business.
0: Mm. Did it feel controversial
2: with, with this Prestigious military background
0: in your family to go and set up a beer company. When you had those conversations with your family, what are you doing with your education? Did you have a, a bit of tension over that that subject, or was it always um, treated with excitement and kind of support? No,
2: because you see, your 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 friends and your family are always looking after your best interests, and they're the ones who will say to you, um, "Don't do it. Mm. You know, take the safer option." Be a banker. You know. Go into corporate finance. Um, why are you taking this risk? And the reality is a lot of businesses don't work. Um, and and I, 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 my father, I mean, was by now commander-in-chief of the Central Army in India. He had 350,000 troops under his command. I would go and visit him while I was in Bangalore developing the beer. And his attitude was very simple. He said, you know, what are you doing? You know, all this education, and you're becoming an import-export wallah. You know, get a proper job, <laughs>
0: but did he so, get it ideologically from the point? You know when you mentioned it as a product on a table with some food Could
2: he agree with you on that and say actually
0: they he, taste d- delicious and it, it's yeah,
2: but to him It was look this is not gonna succeed. You know, th- you're gonna fail. You you don't stand a chance You're up against giants and and when you when you say you're up against giants Remember, yeah, the big brands like Kingfisher is a very old brand Carlsberg's a very old brand and Stella Artois, 14th century and they have big bucks and big marketing budgets and their marketing plays on that heritage yeah. often which if you yeah. can't so you're up against all the odds
1: it's funny it reson- as I just read um, Phil Knight's book um, shoe dog and he sounds like he had exactly the same relationship with his father. His father wanted him to remain as an accountant and take take the the safe route and didn't really believe in, in the shoes and yet when he did make a success of of Nike it was like his father's like most proudest moment
0: No, no, my father became my biggest fan once we succeeded, absolutely, yeah. yeah. But I get the feeling that you've treated the exercise with the utmost respect, because we see the creation of a lot of startup food and beverage brands now, and it's almost like the point of differentiation is just to to make a nice brand that that looks good on a supermarket shelf, you know, maybe a little different, but it's not really, really thought about, whereas you seem like you really had a desire to match this taste profile in your head, And, and, and to that point... Do you feel Cobra, as it exists now, is the perfect creation of what you expected that taste to look like?
2: It is. It is, I mean, so it, you brought no, it to no, life. Without a doubt, I mean, it is a truly exceptional beer. And I, again, I say this ambitiously, but if I talk to anyone, if I talk to a taxi driver, if I talk to somebody in a Michelin-starred restaurant, if I talk to somebody in a village, if I talk to somebody in an urban city, everyone knows Cobra. And without fail, without fail, they love Cobra because the product is fabulous. Mm. I mean, it's a really delicious, clean, drinkable beer. But the, the, the differentiation, the fact that you've got to do something that's different and better is absolutely crucial. It's no good. Everyone can produce a beer that looks nice and is packaged nicely. Now, our, pa- our packaging is unique. If you, if I ask you to close your eyes and picture a bottle of Cobra, you will be able to do it. It has that top label. It's green and it's yellow and it's, it's different to any other beer mm-hmm. bottle. But the taste itself is is it's, it's like a platform. So when we produce our non-alcoholic beer, most non-alcoholic beers are absolutely disgusting. So we produced a non-alcoholic beer that's really drinkable. We gluten-free, gluten-free beers. All our competitors that produce gluten-free beers never taste as good as the original. We spent three years to make sure that our gluten-free beer tastes as good as the Cobra original. We produce an India pale ale. All the craft brands that are coming up, nearly 60% of most craft beers are India pale ales. And I can't name the brands, but all the famous craft brands that you've heard of, almost 60% of their sales are India pale ales. Now, here's the problem, and I noticed this when I... I've been. Embarking on executive education for years now. I'm an alumnus of Harvard Business School of Cranfield Business School of London Business School And when I went to Harvard for many years, I noticed this craft boom Happening there and I would try all these craft beers and I found them Really delicious, but they were too bitter. They were too hoppy And I struggled to finish a glass and I found them impossible to drink with food So that's when I said how can I create an IPA that is as smooth and drinkable as Cobra, that is produced as an ale with a top-fermenting yeast, a traditional IPA with ale hops. So Cobra has three hops, but they're they're Bavarian hops, whereas the Malabar Cobra, the the IPA that Cobra produces called Malabar, has five varieties of hops that are ale hops that is top-fermenting using ale yeast, and it is by far the most drinkable IPA in the world and by far the only IPA in the world that goes with all food. So everything we do, we do that. Our double fermented beer that we produce at Rodenbach Brewery in Belgium. If you talk to anyone who knows about beer and you mention Rodenbach, Rodenbach is like the Rolls Royce of breweries. It is the ultimate 200-year-old brewery opened by Germans in Belgium. We produce a Cobra there that is double fermented in a champagne bottle with an ale yeast And after two-and-a-half weeks of double fermentation, it's cooled, unpasteurized, with a a one-and-a-half-year shelf life. And it is the most exquisite beer, but again, so smooth and so delicious and so aromatic that it'll go with any food and drinkable on its own. So that everything you're doing, every bit of innovation that you're doing, you're keeping in mind that differentiation that will enable your product to deliver what you've dreamt to deliver from day one. What
1: do you think of, of some of these craft craft beer brands? Do you think they're destined to succeed or to fail? It seems like there's so many of them, and it's such a, a crowded marketplace.
2: I I would say that if I had started Cobra today, you would call Cobra a craft brand, right? Now, how much more craft can you get than? malted barley and yeast and water and rice and maize and wheat and three varieties of hops and a delicate process. I mean, Cobra is an ultimate craft beer, but it's not seen as a craft beer because it's so now perceived to be so big and available everywhere and it's a household name. Uh, Other products like Malabar and King Cobra are treated as craft beers. And I'm all for this craft beer boom because I think it's introducing people to appreciating beers and appreciating the differences in tastes of beers. The only challenge craft beers have is that beer is a the ultimate fast-moving consumer good. And you need critical mass and volume to make it viable and profitable. And the very small craft breweries, I think, will challenge to survive yeah. because you do need that critical mass to be able to succeed. But I'm all for them, and I, and I love the craft beer boom. Mm. Do you get big
0: Beer producers buying up small craft operations to give them the economies of scale and the brand reach that maybe they've
2: yes, achieved. Yes, that's happening all the time. Okay. And and some of them were doing it very successfully. So, you know, you've had well-known brands that have been brought up by, bought up by big breweries um, that have invested in them and sometimes allowed the owners to actually carry on with their craft ethos, but with the ba- financial backing. And, and to an extent with Cobra and Wilson Coors, you know, the last 10, we've celebrated 10 years of a joint venture. The, the financial backing is huge, the distribution backing is huge, the manufacturing backing is huge, but yet we have our dedicated Cobra sales force, our dedicated marketing team. I am still, as the founder and the chairman, driving it forward. I own half of it mm-hmm. with my shareholders. So, you know, we are, it's a team effort. We're making the most of a giant global company and the entrepreneurial spirit combined together. To really make it happen and we've just produced a program on on Sony TV called The Chef where we've got 26 of the top chefs (coughs) including some chefs with double Michelin stars um, that we're profiling in their restaurants and they're producing recipes sponsored by Cobra because our our positioning is brewed smooth for all food (laughs) and and this is showing Cobra in action Mm. um, with these top chefs and top restaurants when did you realize when did you start to believe that it was really
1: really going to be a success when when could you relax a little bit because presumably the first few years were fairly fraught and and edgy so when did you think okay
2: this is this is, this is going somewhere now you can never relax okay <laughs> it's non-stop restless innovation and success is not a destination it's a journey mm-hmm. and uh, it took off after six years the first five years it take off my partner <coughs> left, my business partner actually left after five years, and um, <laughs> that, that was a change because when you worked and lived, and you know, we lived in a roof conversion in the Fulham Palace Road. You know, one floor was bedrooms, one floor was offices, and you're living and working with somebody, and to this day he's one of my best friends, and then when he leaves, it's very lonely, yeah. and it's difficult, and that took a lot of adjusting. And then our sales took off. They doubled in one year, and we never looked back. The plane took off. Um, could, so could you point the finger at any one cause of that takeoff? I think it was a combination of um, there is a sort of Momentum that builds um, I was able to build a team that helped a lot um, I was able to you know little items can make a difference. We brought out a branded uh, Cobra beer glass That it uh, was unlike any other beer glass in the world made by a German company where we produced a bit a fluted beer glass, which was actually quite gaudy, uh, with gold rim, but with a map of India on it, a coloured map of India with the Arabian Sea and Bangalore, and where cobras from, um, and that just took people's imagination. Our sales in the restaurants went up by fifty percent in six months, just because of that one item of point of sale.
0: What was the what was the cause of the of that? Was that your vision?
2: To yeah. 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 Uh, even to now, uh, to this day, I drive all the creativity, all the innovation in the company. I just love it. And, and this is the sad thing. As a child, I was told in, from a very young age that I was doing well academically and that I would do well. But I was not creative because I was not good at art. Mm. I couldn't draw. I was forced to learn how to play the piano. I passed grade one, and then I was told, please spare us and give up. You're tone deaf. <laughs> so so I, you know, I, was, I really believed and I was told I was not creative. And it's only when I started my business that I realized I'm actually very, very creative. And, and one of the most important skills of entrepreneurship is the ability to be innovative and creative. And, and I think everyone has it in them. And one of my passions in life is to encourage children to be creative from a very young age and to unleash that creative potential that exists in everybody. And whatever you do in life, whether you join the civil service or whether you become an entrepreneur, that creativity can be so powerful and can help our economy. Have you seen um, any of Ken, Robin- Ken Robinson's
0: talks? Indeed. Yeah, yeah, he's a big advocate of that. Because yeah. I feel like the, the passion is like the amplification of that creativity. If you don't like what you do because you're in an investment bank, it, it sort of mutes it and does it. But what I'm finding amazing about this interview is is how passionate you still are about this business. I mean. I'm not a huge beer drinker, but even just absorbing this level of knowledge, it makes it so much more nuanced. And you find out that most industries, and as per the thesis of our podcast, are fascinating when you hear from people who really care about the process and how complicated it is. It's not just a beer, it's it's all these moving parts. In terms of how you've seen the business evolve over time, you talk about marketing in the early days. What What was marketing back then like versus how it is now? Because I imagine it was a very different exercise in the terms of the channels you could use that were available to you
2: yes uh, and 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 again, um, because we didn't have any money and we we did not have the ability to just do the traditional marketing activity, we had to, to build it so we we started with these table ten cards, and then eventually we had branded glasses, and then eventually we had these super branded glasses that took off then eventually public relations. We were very good at using public relations uh, from an early time that was relatively affordable. And it was nine years before we had our first advertising campaign. And when we did our first advertising campaign, we chose Saatchi and Saatchi. We chose the best agency. And the other thing I was never scared to do from an early day was to pay the best advisors. Our accountants, Grant Thornton, who helped us raise money in the early days, it's thanks to their name, their credibility, their contacts that we were able to raise money, where if we tried to do it on our own, we wouldn't be able to do it. And a lot of young businesses are too scared to go to a a well-known firm of accountants. Oh, they're gonna be expensive. You get what you pay for. With Saatchi and Saatchi, I went to one of the best ad agencies in the world. We gave them the brief, established Cobra as the best beer to drink with Indian food, and boy, did they do it. You know, the beer from Bangalore that lets you eat more curry. The beer Curryholics adore. It lets them eat more. <laughs> the less gassy, more classy Curryholics beer. It was phenomenal. It was across all the tube station tracks in the magazines. It took off. And then it was another few years later before we did our first adi- uh, um, um, ad- uh, uh, television campaign and cinema campaign. And even there, you can be creative. They wanted to go to India to produce it. Their budget was to spend a million dollars to produce the advertisement, just to produce it. And I just said, sorry, I can't afford that in those days. Why, uh, why haven't you thought of using an Indian production company? Bollywood produces more films than Hollywood. Mm. Oh, the quality won't be good enough. I said, I'll find the production director. I went out to India, found the best production director. Two people from sachi's flew out. We produced two world-class quality adverts for a fraction of a million dollars, and they were great hit. So it's not about outsourcing, it's about right sourcing. Mm. A win for British creativity, Saatchi and Saatchi, win for India, Indian production, win for Cobra beer. So at every stage, you can be innovative, you can be creative, you can, you can leverage, you can try and you know, do the impossible. What's your product adoption like in India? So w- with India, in the initial years, it was always export only. Then from about 2005, we sold Cobra in India for several years. And then we had some bad luck. And now, you know, <laughs> luck, the word luck, I've, I've been to three business schools. I've never done a case study on luck. Mm. And, and, and the best definition of luck is luck is when determination meets opportunity. And, you know, we've been very lucky. We've been determined. Um, serendipity is seeing what everyone else sees but thinking what no one else has thought. Um, but then luck can go against you. Uh, we had uh, three breweries in India. We have now with Molson Coors. One of them for the last three and a half years has prohibition. Just closed down because the government decided in that state prohibition in Bihar. So I've just not been able to produce Cobra for three and a half years there. And so that's been a real setback. Next year, we're intending to reintroduce Cobra in India.
0: Mm, as you say, you can't mitigate for, for legislations like that. One thing that I I wanted to get onto as well, because actually in the early days of doing fundraising talks, I mentioned this to you when I saw you at One Young World, I used to discuss Cobra as a fundraising story because from your accountancy background, it had been meticulously planned. It tends to be a case that people go out, build a story, sell some equity, and continue to sell equity, um, ignoring gross margins and stuff like this. So you, you had quite a, a sort of multifaceted strategy as you went up through the, the, the,
2: the growth story of how you were raising capital, and it wasn't just selling
0: equity, am I right?
2: Yes, what you've got to do right at the beginning is once you realize you're building something of value, and in our case, the most valuable asset that we own is the Cobra Beer brand, you've got to try and dilute as little as possible, which means you've got to try and raise money through other sources. And most people will start with the bank, which is what we did. You get a bank overdraft. But then you have a plethora of ways of raising finance and including today what we didn't have then crowd crowdfunding and uh, which is hugely powerful I mean brands like Brewdog have built their brands on crowdfunding we didn't have that but even then we had the ability to go to unsecured finance we had the ability to do invoice finance and factoring where you the more you sell you raise money secured on your debtors So the more you sell, the more money you raise. You can do supplier financing. You can get trade financing. The more you buy, you get financing on what you buy. You can do convertible preference shares. You have the EIS scheme that you can use. You have the government's small firm's loan guarantee scheme, which exists to this day, where the government guarantees 75% of the loan to the bank, where you have no security to offer, and the bank takes an exposure of 25%. We got the two of those loans. Without those loans, we wouldn't have been able to, take, to get Cobra off the ground. So there are many ways of raising finance and preserving your equity. And then you have angel finance. I remember the second government lo- small firms loan finance we got. The bank manager we eventually found who agreed to do it said, I need you to prove the value of your company. And he said, What do you think your company is worth? So my partner and I looked at each other. And we looked at him, and we said, a million pounds. He said, I knew you'd say that. (laughs) So he said, you want 250,000 pounds. You give away 5% of your equity and raise 50,000 pounds from a business angel, and I'll give you your 250,000 pounds. And through Grant Thornton, through their contacts, (coughs) we managed to raise the 50,000 pounds, and he gave us the 250,000 pounds. And the loan came through the day before my wedding day. My wedding day is the happiest day of my life. It made it even happier. Hmm. So, you know, there are various ways of raising finance um, for a growing business. Uh, and I think many people don't do that, don't use and don't access. And, and key to that is having a good advisor.
0: Was it your accountancy background that gave you some familiarity of the mechanisms at play oh, and how you'd manage the cash flow? I ways?
2: mean, the accountancy background was a huge help. I mean, I'll give you One example where we found initially the distributors. When we started, the distributors were not interested. They just didn't want us, didn't need us, didn't think we'd succeed, and we went around in our little Citroen de chevaux Albert. You could see the road through the floor of the cars, through the holes in the floor. <laughs> it needed push starting every day. It failed its MOT three times. <laughs> I wish I'd never ab- abandoned Albert. Bright green, battered. And we would deliver the beer, 15 cases, if no one else was driving. If you were driving on your own, 15 cases, front seat, back seat, boot. And we'd sell the beer door to door. And we built up 100 of the top restaurants in London selling Cobra, regularly reordering. Then the distributors took notice. So with the biggest distributor in London, um, we managed to do a deal with them. And we said, look, we will give you the agency for the M25 in return You've got lots of money. We know you have no debt. We know you have unutilized overdraft facilities. We've done our research with Barclays. Um, We'll give you the exclusivity if you help us with finance. And this is how we'll do it. Every time a container comes over from Bangalore, we'll deliver the container from Canning Town, P&O, to your warehouse. Once it's unloaded, we'll give you your 90 days credit that you want. You will then sign a bill of exchange. Victorian instrument that I'd learned about in my Chartered Accountancy days, <laughs> they would sign the bill of exchange accepting that they'd received the goods and that we would in 90 days time that they would pay us. We would then rush across to Barclays Bank in the city to their bank where they had set aside 150,000 pounds of their unutilized overdraft facility and without taking a penny out of that overdraft facility the bank manager would set aside, let's say the container was worth £20,000, would set aside £20,000 against that £150,000, not taking a penny out of it, and he would stamp it guaranteed by Barclays Bank. We would then drive in our Citroën CV in Albert back to Fulham to NatWest to our bank manager, present the bill of exchange guaranteed by Barclays Bank, and we'd have the money in the bank on the same day at the lowest rate of interest because guaranteed by Barclays Bank. Now, that is how you can be innovative in raising finance. Now, being a chartered accountant helped me Mm. come up with that idea to do that. Um, So there's no end to how you can be innovative in raising finance.
0: Do you you feel in the current climate people are getting a bit lazy with the availability of equity? Because platforms like Angel Investment Network make it, in theory, easier to find more angel investors. But I think it's come that people now aren't willing to try and push through those conversations with their their bank managers or or are the banks just more regulated and won't Necessarily take the same
2: chances on people that they used to uh, the, the, the the things that have changed so in the old days you'd have the bank manager mm. So I remember our NatWest Bank manager Who gave us the first of our small firm loans guarantee scheme loans? And I remember our overdraft limit was at 11,000 pounds and it was up to 26,000 pounds and he'd let it go up to 26,000 pounds. And he said, you know, I'm only doing this because I trust you. He said, I'm coming close to retirement. I will lose my pension. I will lose my job if you let me down. But I trust you. And we never let him down. Now, tha- those days now have gone. You know, mm. you barely can speak to a bank manager nowadays. And I think there are, thankfully, super banks like Coots, for example, that will still support entrepreneurs in a fantastic way, gave them support and give you that personalized service that still exists. So I think you, know, you need to go and find those banks who will still give you that personalized service. Um, but the key of trying to hold on to your equity as much as you can, you can't always do it, as much as you can in the early days is still, I think, a principle uh, that should be followed. And then you can access the crowdfunding and various other aspects. And of course, you've got the British Business Bank. The government's been very good. Mm. Uh, We had the Green Investment Bank. Um, So the government is also getting behind it in a big way, which is also very good. When did you start the the Cobra Foundation? What the two things um, I think that businesses should have as a mindset when they start. One, the idea that you want to go global from day one. So as soon as I could. I started exporting Cobra, so I'd import it from India and I'd sell it into Europe, into distributors into Europe, predominantly in, into the Indian restaurants. Now we export to about 40 countries around the world. The second thing I think that businesses should have a mindset is wanting to be not just the best in the world, but to be the best for the world. Not just what you do, but how you do it. And often businesses have this mentality that, oh, one day when I'm successful and I'm really profitable, then I'll do it and I'll write out the big checks. What you can do as a business is you can actually start doing it from day one. And we saw the opportunity very early where with Cobra, we spotted opportunities where there were fundraising events, where there were charities raising money, quite often held at Indian restaurants. And you'd have a Whatever the charity was, people being invited, speeches, auctions, raffle prizes, money being raised, awareness being raised. So we would offer the beer free to be served at those events, saving the charity money and giving a donation in kind. We also got awareness for our product. People drinking our product. And in that way, we were able to help lots and lots of, of charities. And this started to grow. So now, over nearly three decades, I'm not exaggerating, we have given away millions of pounds of Cobra Beer free to just about every charity you can imagine. And when you do it in a big way, it is remarkable. If I give you two examples, one, we have the tug of war in the House of Lords, House of Commons. <laughs> I mean, we have tug of war in Parliament on a daily basis <coughs> in legislation, <laughs> but we have inter-parliamentary sports rifle shooting, clay pigeon shooting, rowing. The biggest one is the tug-of-war. And it takes place in Westminster School Yard. And we have the, fi- <coughs> the final race, the final competition in the tug-of-war, there are many, many competitions, is the House of Lords Men versus the House of Commons Men. That event is in aid of Mac- Macmillan's cancer. I have been sponsoring that for over, I've been in the Parliament for 13 years. I sponsored the tug-of-war even before because I thought it was such a good event. Mm. Hundreds of people turn up to this event, paying money to, for the event. I'm not exaggerating. Each year, this year for example, we raised 180,000 pounds net for Macmillan's Cancer. And Cobra Beer gives away thousands of pounds beer free every year for that. Now, if you can imagine, if I've given away thousands of pounds of beer free for 15 years, how much I've given just to one charity in money terms. Another example, We just had an event in the Mansion House with the Lord Mayor of London to celebrate the 12th Lord Mayor's Curry Lunch. Every year in the Guildhall, there's a Lord Mayor's Curry Lunch. It started off supporting the Army Charities, the Army Benevolent Fund. It now supports the Army, Navy, and Air Force Benevolent Funds. Over a thousand people turn up paying over a hundred pounds each. There are silent auctions, auctions, a member of the royal family is there, the chiefs of the services are over there we raise have now raised in these 12 lord mayor's carry launches over 2 million pounds wow. for the yeah. armed forces Act, and we have provided cobra beer thousands of pounds of beer every year for 12 years now the amount of good one can do is just phenomenal and then you can be creative i noticed that there's a water called blue water have you heard of blue water b-e-l-u
1: oh yeah i've seen yes it. That was, yeah.
2: you see it everywhere yeah and I said and for years I've been trying to partner with Hilden water commercially to do a cobra branded water joint branded water as a commercial product never worked out I shared the platform with the founder of Blue Water and then I realized the secret of Blue Water because I've been seeing it in parliament in parliament you have Blue Water with a port color sign joint branded the secret of Blue Water is this Blue Water is sold it's made in Wales, top quality water, mineral water. It's sold at the normal mm-hmm. price, like Hilden water, to a distributor. The distributor makes its normal profit, sells it to a restaurant. Restaurant makes its normal profit and sells it to the customer. Customer pays the normal price that they would pay for a bottle of water. Here's the catch. 100% of the profits of blue water goes to WaterAid. 100% goes to war trade. So I said to the chief executive, I said, how many Indian restaurants do you supply? I said, none. I said, well, we supply 7,000. So why don't we do a joint branded blue water with Cobra Foundation, our charity, and blue, no, no, we don't do joint branded products. I said, don't kid me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a member of parliament. <laughs> you do a joint branded water for parliament. Oh, that's an exception. I said, you can make another exception. <laughs> <laughs> so we now have Cobra Foundation Baloo Water that is sold in hundreds of Indian restaurants. And in just over three years, we have donated 100,000 pounds to Baloo to Water Aid, And my only other stipulation is for clean water and sanitation in South Asia, because that's where our restaurants come from. So there's no end to what business can do. And one of my passions and my objectives as the incoming president of the CBI, of the Confederation of British Industry, is I want people to, one of my ambitions as as the incoming president of the CBI, is I want people and the public to understand that business is a force for good. I want people to understand the basics and that people do not appreciate that without business, there are no jobs. Without jobs, there are no taxes. Without taxes, there are no public services. Business is at the heart of everything. That's one thing I want people to understand. Secondly, I want people to understand the amount of good business does. Mm. So many businesses, big businesses, small businesses, good business does. Putting back into their communities. And Cobra Beer is a small example of how business is engaging with communities, putting back into communities way beyond the profit that we're making and the great product that we're producing and I want that message to get across to the British people to, because businesses unfortunately got a bad name, mm. and I want business to have a good name mm. and for people to appreciate the good in business.
1: Mm. It seems that you were very forward thinking with that at Cobra in the early days, because now there seems to be a, a groundswell in, in businesses that are they're, they're marrying their their commercial objectives with some, it's called impact or profit with purpose, but it's 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 all basically amounts to the same thing.
0: It feels part of the ongoing marketing strategy of some of the companies creating now There's as good a marketing tool for them to show sustainable credentials as it as it, you know Is to just push out old-school marketing or TV or, or internet-based advertising Because especially with the next generation coming through it seems that they're incredibly uh, aware of social causes or they're, they're worried about the impact that, that bad business practices will have on their future
2: Absolutely, you see, it's no longer a box where you tick that I'm doing my social, corporate social responsibility. This is now, it's got to be embedded in in your business, that it's something everyone in your business is passionate about doing and wants to do. It's about everyone who wants to join a business, every prospective employee. The question they ask more and more is not, how much am I going to earn? How much holiday am I going to get? It's, what are you doing for For the planet what environmental work you're doing what charitable work you're doing people are interested people are expecting it investors are now expecting it so it's now becoming embedded in business which i'm so thrilled about and Mm -hmm. it's something we as a company have been doing from day one Mm -hmm. and i really believe in it how well triangulated do you think this this push towards
0: you know doing good is between the government, between business, and the individual voting member of the public. Because that is is something that we battle with. It's like the the public sector and the private sector are always slightly at odds. And the communication between all of them in terms of the impact we're having, whether it be through statistics or data on on how much impact we're having, seems at times a little fragmented or a little dislocated. So from being in your position of being in business and in government, how do you see that and is it
2: getting better without a doubt there's always been a huge disconnect between um, the civil service the public sector and business there there is been a suspicion uh, there's been almost a distrust now more and more working together mm. and and I'm, I'm seeing it firsthand and and I think there's a will to do it um, and also linked to the education sector. Uh, and unfortunately, of course politicians have got a very bad name. There's a complete distrust of politicians. Business as I've said, unfortunately quite often has a very bad name. Uh, so we're now changing that and I, and I think there's a concerted effort uh, to change that. And the best way to change things is not through talk, it's through behaviour and the behavior is taking place and one of the things for example I'm trying to do is to bring business and politicians and universities together to hold annual events at universities and around the country where you have a university hosting an event bringing the local MPs in there bringing local businesses in there and talking about common causes and common challenges and working together not enough of that is happening at the moment and you know, the, the sort of things that I want to do as, 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 as president of the CBI, I'm, I'm the first entrepreneur to be in the position. Usually it's a FTSE 100 chair who has a position. and the first ethnic minority individual to be in the position. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, is to promote entrepreneurship, promote innovation, promote creativity, promote universities and businesses working together far more than we do. We are working together. There's great innovation coming out of British universities, but we can do so much more with universities and businesses working together. And also, I want to promote the, the image of business in Britain, mm-hmm. as we've just spoken about, but the image also of business in Britain abroad. Yes, I think we are the most phenomenal country. We beat ourselves up, we don't shout from the rooftops, we're still the fifth, sixth largest economy in the world depending on the exchange rate, and you know we have no empire we have very little natural resources we have great institutions and we have great capability in just about every field you can imagine so if I talk to you about manufacturing 10% of our GDP best in the world aerospace beer automobiles you name it we're brilliant you talk about arts music classical pop rock jazz best in the world film how many Oscars do you have where there isn't a British director, actor winning several awards? Architecture, lawyers, accountants, museums, financial services, tech. I mean, we are phenomenal as a country, and we're 1% of the world's population. And people don't appreciate that about us. Mm-hmm. We're not a has-been. We're a happening country, We're one of the most entrepreneurial countries in the world. So I think we need to shout from the rooftops about that. So one of my things is not just about CBI being the voice of business in Britain, it's the voice of business for Britain.
1: And presumably that's going to be increasingly important in the wake of whatever
2: Brexit takes place. Yeah, it's very unfortunate. I mean, in my view, Brexit is, is something that has happened. It's three and a half years, more than three and a half years now. Three and a half years ago, we were the fastest growing economy in the Western world. We were flying. Um, you know, if you spoke to people about Europe being an important issue in people's minds, it was nowhere near an important issue. It was not an issue. We we're fully integrated. We we're doing very well. Yes, there are flaws in the European Union. I've been a great Eurosceptic and many things I don't like about the European Parliament and the way it works and the bureaucracy. But on the whole, as a country, we've done really well out of being a member of the European Union. And unfortunately, these last three and a half years have been taken up by Brexit. Um, It's sapped the energy out of our country. It's sapped the resource out of our country. Um, And in spite of that, in spite of that, to show the resilience of our country, we've continued to grow as an economy, albeit slower. And and I think the strength of that goes down to a, a country like ours, that has such strong institutions, institutions that go back centuries, that are resilient. And so we are not a superpower. We are a global power, and I don't want to lose that place that we have at the top table of the world as a global power. And if we leave the European Union, as long as we can have uh, a soft Brexit where we continue to stay aligned with Europe and have as much of the benefits as possible of the single market and the customs union and the ability to trade freely and move freely within Europe and add the advantages of being part of a 500 million trading block, um, then I think we will, even if there is a Brexit, um, we can still continue to do well. It takes me back to what Stephen Welton was saying
0: to us, which I mentioned slightly before the podcast, of this idea of uh, national sovereignty or, or investing in our own Interests and aligning the British interests so that we can create these he likened it to you know the Ericsson's that Sweden have we need companies that grow out of the UK and then have a a international footprint that we can You know bring people into and and start getting more of that identity Maybe things on a a longer time horizon because at the moment what the venture industry is guilty of is growing companies to then sell to Maybe US private equity or to sell to US tech companies and it quickly offshores whereas actually there is some I guess, need for us to rally behind companies that will be true British institutions that grow and, and proudly shine our, our business out on the on the
2: world, I guess. We, we, we have. We have the potential. We have the companies emerging, the unicorns, if you want to call them that. Mm. Originally, you had the Cambridge Cluster. Mm. Now, of course, you've got the London Cluster. I mean, London is, from a fintech point of view, from a lot of other technology points of view, a really emerging cluster. The UK as a country is one of the most entrepreneurial countries in the world, whichever way you look at it, which 30 years ago entrepreneurship was looked down upon. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've changed, we've had a sea change um, in terms of our attitudes to entrepreneurship. The statistics are stark. Uh, a UK comp- startup will sell out at an average of 40 million, an American Silicon Valley will sell out at an average of a billion. So, you know, we do tend sell out too early and we have a way to go, but the progress we've made in a relatively short time in in advancing our entrepreneurial culture and and, and, and the way and our angel investing, our venture capital investing, our private equity investing, it's been held back a bit by Brexit. There's no question about it. There's no running about the uncertainty that Brexit has caused. I think the moment we get through um, the Brexit uncertainty you will see Britain, which has always, by the way, been one of the largest recipient of inward investment in the world. We're one of the most open economies in the world. We're by far the largest recipient of inward investment in Europe. We will fly. And with this entrepreneurial culture that is built up in this country, I have so much confidence in it. It's just gonna take off.
0: Okay, we're now gonna task you with a few, a few quickfire questions, if you don't mind. Um, I guess the first one is a prediction for the future.
2: Yeah, I, I am a, a huge believer in absolute confidence in our country's potential, that we are so resilient as a country. Um, I, I think that, that I, I've lo- nearly lost my business three times, and I think there are three things that see you through a crisis, and the three things are the same, although the three times are very different, and it applies to a country one you've got to have a strong brand and whatever you may say we have lost a lot of respect around the world over the last three and a half years with people around the world saying what is this great country doing to itself why are you doing this but they still talk about us as a great country so the uk is a great brand second thing is you can get through a crisis if you have the support of your a strong team of your family. My wife has stood by me. I met her one year after I started Cobra Beer. Without her support, I wouldn't be talking to you today. My team, I've got loyal team members who've been by my side, who've just been the most amazing individuals, people like Samson Sahil, my sales director, a legend in the industry. Without his support, I wouldn't be talking to you today. So if you have a strong team, and Britain has this amazing, amazing capability, our universities are the best in the world, along with America. I'm Chancellor of the University of Birmingham, the fourth largest university in the country, one of the top 100 universities in the world, Russell Group University. Which universities won more Nobel Prizes than any other university in the world? Not Stanford, not Harvard, not Princeton, Cambridge University. Mm-hmm. You know, we have the best universities in the world. So we have huge people power. We have, in, in, in every way, the capability of our people is phenomenal. And the third thing that is the most important thing that can get you through any crisis is the word integrity and values. And the best definition of integrity that I've ever heard is I'm a Zoroastrian Parsi. I come from one of the smallest communities in the world and I'm very proud of my little community. People now have heard more about it because of Freddie Mercury of Queen, who was a Mm -hmm. Zoroastrian Parsi, Zubin Mehta, the conductor, Tatars, the owners of Jaguar Land Rover, Tata Steel. And the... The Zoroastrian Parsis, I'm the patron of the community in the UK, I welcomed Rowan Williams when he was Archbishop of Canterbury, who came to visit our center in Harrow. I made a speech and in his response he said Lord Billamore has used the word integrity twice in his speech and the Zoroastrian Parsi community were renowned for their integrity. And he said the word integrity comes from the Latin and Greek words integer integrum, which mean wholeness, completeness. You cannot practice integrity If you're fragmented in front of the light, you can only practice integrity if you're whole and complete as an individual, as an entity. So you apply that to Britain. Mm. We've got a phenomenal brand. We've got great people. And the whole world respects us for our values and our integrity. And with those three things, we can be so resilient and our future is so bright.
0: And actually, I'm going to, Augment a slight question about the future. What's the future of Cobra potentially going to be do you think in ten ten years time? Maybe
2: with, with, with Cobra ambitiously I say is one of the best beers in the world But and here's the but I think Cobra can be three times bigger than it is in the UK alone in the next five years Wow, and that's how much potential it's got And the moment people, as they are starting now, to saying, wow, we love Cobra with a curry, we always have Cobra with a curry, but we actually love Cobra as a beer on its own, and we drink it with every food. We're happy to drink Cobra with Turkish, Lebanese, Chinese, Thai, any food. We love Cobra, it's the best beer to drink with food, brood smooth for all food. So I want Cobra, in the next five years, to be three times bigger than it is today.
0: I like that, Um, a, a book, a book that you'd recommend?
2: A book that really made me cry was Dame Stephanie Shirley. Steve, do you know who I mean? The the lady who started um, the IT company Zanza, the all-women IT company, who is the biggest benefactor of autism in the world. And if you read her book and her entrepreneurial story, and about her son who sadly died and how she devoted her life not just to building one of the most successful tech companies run completely by women but also to devoting her life to autism to this day the biggest benefactor of autism in the world you read that story and that's what entrepreneurship is about that's what putting back into the community is about that's what values are about that's a book worth reading Fascinating. that's pretty powerful
0: wow. And uh, the last question is the best advice um, you've given or received. You've given a lot of good advice, actually, in this, so maybe (laughs) the best you've received. Okay. Um,
2: I would say that if I made two things. Mm -hmm. So one is, I think, that every business has to have a mission and a vision. So our mission is to brew the finest ever Indian beer and make it a global beer brand. That's something you can measure on a daily basis. And we are the finest ever Indian beer, and we've got to keep being one. And a global beer brand, we're nowhere near. 40 countries manufactured in Holland, Belgium, UK, India. We need to grow much more. But I can measure that progress. But allied to that is your vision, your attitude. And I think attitude matters more than anything. When we hire people, we hire for will rather than skill. Ideally both, but will is the most important thing. And our motto at Cobra Beer is to aspire and achieve against all odds with integrity. And that is almost a definition of entrepreneurship, where you come up with an idea, you want to get somewhere with the idea, you've got all the odds stacked against you, you've got little or no means, and you go out there and you make it happen. Most importantly, you make it happen in the right way with integrity. And the best advice I've ever received in my life is from my father. And when he became a general, I was about to start work at EY, to start my chartered accountancy training. And I went to see him on a holiday. He was commanding a division on the Chinese border. And I said, Dad, can you give me some advice about work, please? Oh, you want some advice about work, do you? Come and see me in my office. So I had to get an appointment from his ADC. And I met my father in this huge office. And he gave me the best advice and lots of advice. But the best advice of the best advice was this. He said, son, you're starting at the bottom. You'll be given lots of tasks and jobs. The first thing when you're given a task is do it. The next thing is you do that little bit extra that you were not asked to do. Mm -hmm. And that is the best advice I've been given in my life. Because what my father was saying was always take initiative, always be innovative, always be creative, and always go the extra mile. Karen, it's been
1: absolutely fascinating to have you here. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure.
2: I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you for having me. Thank, you. To say. Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed this or
1: any of our other conversations, we'd love to get your feedback. Our Twitter handle is at the startup mic mic or get us an email or your head at startupmicrodose.com. If you're feeling particularly generous of spirit, a review on iTunes would go a long way to ensuring that we can continue to bring you these conversations.
0: Finally, this recording could not have happened without the support of Founders Factory back to Entail. Their podcasting software and studio in the Daily Mail building, London, are as ever the unassuming stars of our show. Check out Entel.co, And thank you for listening. Goodbye.